0: Lord, we pray that you would just speak to our hearts now, be glorified as we give attention to your word, teach us what you would have us hear tonight, draw us closer to you. It's in your name we pray, amen. So we find ourselves tonight in the book of Philippians. Philippians is a short letter, it's four chapters long, you can probably read the whole thing in about 15 minutes, uh, depending on how fast of a reader you are, but it's not a very long book, and it's written as a thank you note, Um, Paul At this point in time, he is in prison in the city of Rome. He's awaiting trial. This is after he had, in the book of Acts, he got arrested, uh, spent a couple years in prison in Caesarea, uh, and then got shipped to Rome, and he's in Rome waiting trial. And so while he's in Rome waiting trial, he starts writing letters. And specifically tonight, um, he's writing a letter to the Philippian people, or the church in the city of Philippi, uh, to tell them thank you because they had sent him A financial gift. And so it's uh, it's a thank you note for, hey, I appreciate what you guys have done for me. Um, And it's a pretty solid thank you note as far as thank you notes go. It's actually a thank you note that was written by Paul and the Holy Spirit working together. It's one of the most uh, encouraging books in all scripture because it winds up being, as Paul is reflecting on his thankfulness for this church and these people, it is also uh, time for him to really offer his commentary on circumstances in the christian life and what is the christian response to life and circumstances and things happening because that's what that's what life is right it's it's really a series of things happening uh most of which we didn't anticipate and really weren't hoping for uh it's just kind of it's a it's a there's a fairly long list of things that go on uh that we usually don't see coming and so if we're not careful we can find ourselves disillusioned and say well you know i thought." jesus christ is going to fix all my problems and how come i'm still struggling and the answer is jesus christ will fix all your problems uh but sometimes there's a work of sanctification going on god has other plans and he's doing a bigger picture than we see so philippians is really just one of those books i mean all scripture is given by inspiration of god right it's all profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness that you may be complete and thoroughly equipped but philippians is one of those books if you're depressed you should read Philippians. If you're happy, you should read Philippians. If you're anywhere in between, you should probably read the book of Philippians. Philippians is just an incredibly uh, powerful book in the life of the believer. So um, so he starts out, chapter one, verse one. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's writing this. Timothy is with him. They're bond servants of Jesus Christ. They're, the word bondservant means like a, a slave by choice. It's a person who had uh, gone into slavery for economic reasons, had a debt they couldn't pay, so said, "Hey, I'll work for you for a certain amount of years to pay off the debt." And then at the end of that time, said, "Actually, I'd rather be a slave to you than a free person in any other context. I'd rather be a slave for life by choice." That's what a bond slave was in the Jewish culture, and so. Paul is making a connection here. I'm a slave of Christ by choice because I had a debt I couldn't pay, Christ paid it. And I'd rather be a slave under Christ because that brings me so much liberty than to try and be free under any other definition. So bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints of in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So saints is just a word for Christians. So this book is written to the Christians in philippi and the bishops and the deacons are allowed to read it too right so it's just it's it's just getting right to hey i want you guys to know this letter is for you grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ we say this every time we get to a letter of paul's but paul wrote it every time he wrote a letter so it bears repeating and that is that grace and peace always go together in the new testament in the scriptures grace uh, is god's riches the goodness of god poured out on our lives because of what Jesus Christ has done. Peace is the result of walking in grace. You will always see them in that order. If you do not have peace in your life, you always need to go back and say, okay, what is my understanding of grace? Because peace is an outflow. It's a result of understanding grace. If you don't have peace, go back to grace. If you have grace, the result is going to be peace. Verse three, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you Always, in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. It's one paragraph, and it's a rather full paragraph. So he says, I thank my God always with joy. Every time I think of you guys, I'm thanking God for you. Or every time I'm thanking God for you, I'm thinking of you. Paul is praying for this church, and he's praying with joy. He is praying with thanksgiving, and that's really, uh, it's going to set the stage for the rest of the book. Because the whole book is going to be about finding joy in the midst of circumstances. What is Paul's context here? He's in prison. And this isn't prison like, you know, this isn't where Martha Stewart went, right? This is not that kind of prison. This is uh, not exactly where you want to go, okay? There's nothing fun happening in this prison. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, that's interesting because we have a whole chapter in the book of Acts Acts 16 gives us the whole story of how the church at Philippi is started and it's really a fascinating insight into how Paul views this church because how does how does the church at Philippi get started it gets started on Paul's second missionary journey and Paul's second missionary journey gets started when he and his friend Barnabas say hey let's go back and, and see the churches that we already started on our first journey and encourage them And Barnabas says, great idea. I'd like to bring along my nephew Mark as an intern. Paul says, no, you don't. That guy's a wuss. That guy bailed on us last time around. We are not taking him. Barnabas says, yes, we are. And the argument gets so fierce. that They say, you know what? I'm not doing ministry with you anymore. Fine. I'm not doing ministry with you anymore. You go take Mark and go wherever you want. I'm going to take Silas and go somewhere. And And it's a breakup of two incredible men of God. And so Paul's the beginning of his missionary journey starts out with breaking up with really his first christian friend barnabas was the first person who believed that paul was actually a christian that it wasn't some sort of trick to kill more christians okay so he breaks up with his very first christian friend and then he goes on a missions trip and if you read it in Acts 16 basically he doesn't know where he's going and the holy spirit keeps shutting down these options he says we try to go this way and the holy spirit wouldn't let us we tried to go this way, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let us. And finally, we wound up in Troas. And you can look on a map and kind of follow it around. Basically, he tried to go north, south, east, and then he got, went west, I think it's west, to Troas, and he stopped because he hit the ocean. Like, you know, kind of we're just running out of options. We'll just, I don't know, every other, you know, there's three directions closed off. We'll just take the fourth. We hit the water. Um, I guess we'll just park. And so he's, he's sorting out where am I going? And then he gets a vision of a, man, of a Macedonian man saying, come over and teach us. And so he says, I wonder if the Lord wants us to go to Macedonia. So they go to Macedonia. And they're there in the city of Philippi. And a church gets planted. But what happens? If you remember the story, there's a demon-possessed girl. Paul casts the demon out of her. And then her, she's a slave girl. Her owners start a ruckus with the city. So Paul and his friend Silas get beaten up without a trial. Arrested, thrown into the lower part of the prison. They've uncovered this prison, and you can kind of map it out. Basically, the lower part means, uh, more or less, they got thrown in the septic tank, okay, in, in all seriousness. They were sitting in the sewage all night long, um, and it says they were praising God and singing, and about the middle of the night, an earthquake came, shook off all their chains, the doors fell open, uh, the jailer was about to kill himself because he assumed that all the, all the prisoners had escaped, and he knew that the pun- his punishment would be so bad he'd be better off killing himself right then uh, in his mind. And Paul said, no, no, we're all still here. Don't clear yourself. Let me explain Jesus Christ to you. And, okay, so the jailer gets saved. And then the next day, Paul leaves town. And, uh, you know, so you, you kind of take it back in your mind. Okay, so how did this church start again? It started with Paul breaking up with his best friend. It started with him wrestling with, I really don't know where the Lord is leading but all I know is I'm trying to walk in obedience and it feels like every door is getting slammed in my face. And then it winds up with, I got a vision. I thought I'll walk in obedience to the vision. And the result of that was I got beaten up with rods and thrown in a septic tank. That's usually not how we think of like pleasant ministry, right? If I, if I were to start the church of Philippi and I were to write these people, I'd be like, man, I thank my God that I'm no longer the pastor at your church. Right, Uh, But Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Paul says, I am, every time I think of you, and I think of that church, and how it got started, I just think, man, God is so good. God is doing something, and wow, it just, it's incredible. And so, he's setting a stage here, right? And that is that painful situations do not need to define us, right? A painful situation in God's hands, yields incredible things, right? Closed doors in life do not need to define us. Broken relationships do not need to define us. Pain and suffering do not need to define us. Paul goes through all these things to start this church. And he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And he says, I'm remembering that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I am thankful for what God has done, and I am confident of what God will do. He says, I know God started that church in the city of Philippi. He can keep it. He can, he can bring it to fruition. There's some, there's some roots in that church. There's some people who know what it means to serve the Lord. And so God is going to be faithful to complete it. In verse 9, he says, And this I pray. So he said he was praying for him every time, and then he got distracted. Now we're going to find out what he prays. That your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. I pray that your love may abound, and that you would approve the things that are excellent, like really know the good things, the best things, and walk in them, that you would be sincere without offense until the day of Christ. Now, I'm praying that you would just do this and just walk in it till you die or till Christ comes back. Need he be filled with the fruits of righteousness. We said it when we were in Ephesians. We'll say it again when we get really through all the epistles of Paul. When Paul says, here's what I'm praying for people, man, just write it down and plagiarize it. Okay? Pray this for people. Pray this for your spouse. Pray this for the person you really don't like. Pray this for the person you really do like. God, I pray that person would abound, that their love would increase and abound in all knowledge and understanding, or knowledge and discernment. I'd kind of like it if somebody prayed that prayer for me. God, help Nate. To increase and abound in knowledge, and understanding, and His love. Ah, wow. yeah, right. Pray that for people. Write it down. Paul says, "Guys, I am thankful for you. I'm rejoicing for you, not because we have such fun times whenever we get together, not because you're just the peppy person I like hanging out with, but because God is doing something." In verse twelve, he says, "But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard." And to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. He says, okay, I want you to know, guys and gals, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. That is the summary of Philippians. That's the summary of Paul's life, and it ought to be the summary of our lives. The things that have happened to me are for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are not for the sake of making Paul more popular. Or more comfortable, or more wealthy, they are for the sake of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is Paul's attitude towards whatever circumstance he finds himself in. He says, "So that it's become evident to the whole palace guard." That's a specific word. That's like Caesar's personal bodyguard. That's like your elite secret service men, your Navy SEALs, your Green Berets. These guys are now getting to hear the gospel from the Apostle Paul. Why? Because soldiers come in and they're chained to Paul eight hour, you know, whatever, eight hour shifts, 12 hour shifts. And most of us would say, wow, I'm chained to this guard. Paul says, wow, that guard is chained to me. That poor sucker is stuck to listen to the gospel until his shift ends. So buddy, where are you from? How'd you get here? What's your story? We got some time. Paul sees it as, hey, this is for the furtherance of the gospel. And so what's he say? The gospel's going out. And he says, even while I'm in prison, hey, guess what? Other believers are now more emboldened. Me going through a hard time is actually encouraging other believers so that they are what? Living out their faith. So they are spreading the gospel. He says, there are even people who are trying to like grow their church while I'm locked up so they can have a better following. Hey, if they're preaching the gospel, God bless them. Right? Now he's not advocating false doctrine here, but there are some people who will preach in the hopes that their church will be bigger than your church. Right? They, they, they're happy for the Lord to work in your church as long as he works just a little more in their church. And as long as they're teaching the gospel, Paul's like, hey, people are getting saved and they're going to a Bible-believing church. I really don't care. Right? What then? In every way, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness. As always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. He says, guys, you understand something, right? I'm going to win this one. For to me, verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident in this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. He says, Okay, guys, I know that I'm going to get delivered from this circumstance. This is, I'm going to get delivered from these chains, right? I'm believing for a miracle. But what's he then clarify? And it doesn't matter how it happens. Just like, uh, you know, Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace. He said, hey, God could save us. But whether or not he saves us in a physical sense right now has nothing to do with our response. Our response is fixed. If he wants to save us physically or save us eternally right now, that's his business. Paul says, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I live, man, Christ gets glorified if I die, I win. I hit the jackpot. You can't really beat a guy like that, right? Like you're trying to intimidate Paul in prison. We're going to kill you, Paul. Yes. I was hoping you'd say that, right? Like, come on. And then you're like, well, we're going to keep you alive. Praise the Lord. Man, there's people who need to hear the gospel. Which one are you going to do? He's like, I don't care, man. Just make up your mind. Either, you know, chop off my head or just, or drag this thing out. But either way, I'm winning. You're the loser in this situation. He says, it doesn't matter what happens. if, If this is our approach to circumstances, to hard life, to hard times, then you know what? It will turn out for the furtherance of the gospel. And notice also, he says, for me, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Not to live is like, to kind of try and pursue Christ. Not to live is to hope that I'm walking with Christ. To live is just, man, it's the glory of Christ. I have fellowship with Christ right now. And so to live is to walk in that. I have the power of the Holy Spirit in my heart right now so to live just to live is to walk in that and if I die hey I win right I'm gonna get the fullness extent of that that I can't even imagine yet but notice if you replace that word Christ with anything else that sentence is not true if you say for me to live is money to die is gain no to die is loss if it's for me to live is whatever my career pick a good thing for me to live is my church for me to live is my family to die is gain no for me to live is my marriage for me to live is my ministry for me to live is my calling to die is gain no 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 none of those things work if to live is christ then to die is gain if to live is anything else if anything else is taking precedent in your life then you will not be able to say to die is gain and consequently you're going to live with attention that can't be resolved. Because when circumstances happen, well, man, you know what? If this kills me, then I'm going to lose. Or what? if this keeps me alive longer than I want to, then I'm going to lose. No, no. If to live is Christ and to die is gain, then I win, right? It doesn't matter what happens. You win. And if that is our approach to the circumstances in life, then it will turn out for the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 27, he says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, Paul says, okay, it's kind of like when Paul says, therefore. All right, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Only thing you should do is just make sure that you are letting your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We talked about this all the last three weeks in the book of Ephesians, right? Here's what Christ has done, so therefore walk worthy. Romans, you know, here's what Christ has done, therefore uh, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Here's what Christ has done. Christ is working in all of our circumstances, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't live stupidly in a way that you shouldn't make it like, how do you say this? Don't make it challenging for the Lord to work in your situation, right? Don't, don't be so stupid in your behavior that it's like, I know God can work this for glory. I just have no idea how he can pull it off. If hard things come, that's great. But don't make them come by just being foolish. So let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel okay if to live is christ what's our response our response is to then walk worthy to let our conduct be worthy and how do we do that by striving together paul emphasizes this over and over in this book this book is to the saints in the church of philippi it's to a plural group of believers and the way we respond the way they respond is to walk in a plural context christianity is not an isolated event he says you got to strive together why because if you strive alone you die alone you strive together so that's what walking worthy looks like but he says also for to you it has been granted on behalf of christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake and that's important We're, suffering is a promise of the scripture if you those who desire to live godly in christ jesus will suffer persecution hard things will come especially if you're a christian so what do you need to do together you strive together we work through those things you let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of christ as you suffer you're striving together because circumstances will come you will suffer but we are called to strive together and so a big part if you are wrestling with circumstances and hard times the absolute best place you can be is in the church because the church's role is to strive together. And usually we struggle with different things at different times. And so the way the Lord works it out, usually where you're struggling, someone else is either struggling in the same way and you can encourage each other or they have already been through it and they can encourage you looking back. And you've been through something in your life that you have now come through and someone else is going through it and you can encourage them. But that only works if we are striving together. If you strive alone, your problem right here is the biggest and worst problem ever faced in the history of humanity. But if you're striving together, man, you, you, know, you can just like pour it out and somebody will say, man, that is really rough. You know, I went through the same thing four times. And you're like, oh, thanks. All right? But we strive together. Because we are letting our conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Chapter 2. He says, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, which is a rhetorical statement, right? If Christ can help us out with anything. If there's any comfort of love. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit. If there's any affection and mercy. What's the answer? Is there any of those things? Yes. So therefore, verse 2. fulfill my joy... By being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. So, our response to the gospel, our response to this idea of to live is Christ, is what? To be other-centered. To live as Christ, to die is gain. Therefore, make my joy complete by being like-minded, by being of one accord, of one mind. Let each one esteem others better than himself. To love Christ well is to serve other people. That's what Paul's saying. If you want to say, wow, God has worked in my life. I want to respond well. How do you do that? By serving other people. By being of the same mind. By saying, I want to walk... In unity now unity does not mean you have to agree with every single thing about a person's life I don't think that's ever happened in the history of humanity okay but unity is saying we are sharing a common goal we have a common God and a common king and a common vision and so even if we have differences and we will have them we are still chasing the same end and so you know what You may have a difference of taste or a difference of opinion or even a difference of conviction on certain things. But if we're going the same direction, then I can help carry your pack and you can help carry my pack. And we can be of the same mind toward one another. And in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Do not think that in your attempts to walk worthy or to, to let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that you are now superior to someone else's walk. Right? Why? Because you are not a judge. Of another man's righteousness. Christ is the judge. You are not the one who is called to tell someone what their grade is in Christianity. Now you might be called to encourage them, to equip them, maybe to call them out and say, Hey, bro, sister, uh that ain't walking worthy. Right? You need to cool it, lay it off, lay it aside. But your job is not to say, Hey, you need to lay it aside, because I happen to be an expert in Christianity, and you're a loser. That's not really what paul's saying he's saying no no you say hey because we are both pursuing christ i'm concerned that what you are doing right now is going to slow you down and so i would like to strive together with you so can i help you in any way that's striving together right there that's unity that's one mind that's esteeming others better than himself i want to serve you to love christ well is to serve one another He says, verse 5, and he's going to give us an example here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he says, okay. Example, right? Example 1A. Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The New American Standard says, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Okay? Jesus was God. He was in the form of God. He was fully God. And he did not feel this need and this drive and this desire to hang on to that role. It wasn't like, I have got to stay on top. It was, hey, I'm going to empty myself to go down and live as a man. It was, hey, I'm going to walk in humility for the sake of these people. Now, this is Paul's kind of going obvious, but he's evidently assumes that we're all a little bit thick because he's going obvious. Okay, so is Jesus better than us? That's a yes, right? And Jesus is God, and he humbled himself to the point of being a man, to the point of the cross, and because he was willing to esteem, he was willing to give us a place of honor that we did not deserve. Right? And because he humbled himself, God has exalted him. That's the law of the universe. That's as sure as gravity or the speed of light or whatever else, right? If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. If you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. And Jesus humbled himself. A lower and a farther stretch than any other being in all of history has ever humbled themselves. And as a result, he has now been exalted above every name and above every power and above every principality, right? Satan is the one who said, I will ascend and he will eventually be humbled or lowered to the farthest depth that can be attained, right? If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. If you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. So Paul says, listen, guys, you're striving together. You don't have to exalt yourself. Just humble yourself. And it's okay if you want to say, man, I really, I want God to exalt me. That's not inherently bad. Right? I would really, frankly, like it if I got to heaven and God said, dude, your teachings were like on point. Right? Like they were, you were crushing it down there. I don't really expect it to happen, but it'd be nice. right? But if I am trying to exalt myself to that point, it will not happen. If you try to earn a status, especially if you're earning it by pushing other people down, what will happen? You will be humbled. But if you're humbling yourself, if you're saying, hey, you know what? I just want to think of you more highly than myself. I want to serve you well. I want to walk in love. I want to just, you know, I want to have the same mind because you know what? You're probably right. I want to have the same mind. I want to be focused on Christ Jesus together with you. God will honor that. He'll exalt you. He'll raise you up. Jesus said, the first will be last and the last will be first. So if you want to be first, he doesn't say it's wrong to be first. He says it's wrong to strive to be first. Right? If your desire and your goal is, I've got to be on top, guess who's not going to be on top? you if it's hey i want to humble myself and i want to i want to watch my circumstances turn out for the furtherance of the gospel then god says let's work with that guy i like where this is going verse 12 therefore my beloved as you've always obeyed not in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. All right, he says, okay, this is really important. He says, work out your own salvation, for God is at work in you. He does not say work for your salvation. He doesn't say work on your salvation. He says work it out because God is at work. You're saved. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, you're saved. So work out what that should look like, right? It isn't like, hey you're safe so you better make sure you stay saved no no you're saved christ's righteousness covers you so wow because christ's righteousness is covering me what should that look like that probably ought to impact my life so work out what that should look like because god it is god who works in you this is one of the best blends of the responsibility of mankind and the sovereignty of god and god is the one who's doing the work. He's willing it, and he's doing it. He's giving you the desire and the ability. Right? You don't have this thought of, I should do something righteous apart from God. But you're also called to have that thought. So it's your responsibility, and it's also God's sovereignty, and they don't contradict each other. They complement each other. So work out your own salvation. Verse 14, if you're wondering, how should I work that out? Great question, Paul says. Do all things. Without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, and that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So if you want to work out your own salvation, Paul gives you like a great, a great starting point. Don't complain and don't argue. Do all things without complaining and disputing. That right there is bare bones, brass tacks, nuts and bolts, practical application Christianity. Jesus Christ saved me. What should I do as a response to that? Shut up and quit complaining, right? Paul says, hey, you know what? These circumstances are not what's going to define you. They're going to turn out for the furtherance of the gospel. To live as Christ, to die as gain. You're striving together. So you know what? Don't complain. That rhymed accidentally. That was kind of cool. Um, don't dispute. Don't argue. Because this is not about you running your show. This is about what is Christ doing. So don't complain. You say, wow, that's hard. Yes, it is. You can spend the rest of your life working on that one. And we all, you know, it's, I mean, that's, gosh dang it. I think every one of us is probably already, we're already sunk for today, right? Has anybody complained today besides me? Like, I don't even, I don't even have to come up with a specific. I just know I complained today at some point in time, probably more than once, right? It's just, it's what we do. But Paul says, no, no, we're striving together. We're trying to let our conduct be worthy so that we can, he says in verse 15, Shine, so that we can shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. A person who doesn't complain stands out in this world. Because this world is full of complainers. Because this world is full of people who are focused on their circumstances. Because this world is full of people who can't honestly say to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so if you have that attitude that's in Paul, the attitude that's in Christ Jesus to say, I'm willing to humble myself to let God do whatever he wants to do. Then all of a sudden, somebody says, okay, normal people aren't joyful in this situation, right? There is a problem with you, and that is that you are not a whiner. And, and so it, and it lets us shine as light. Sometimes we can stress out over how do we evangelize, and we should have a vision to share the gospel sometimes we can also underestimate the impact of a life that is lived and surrendered to the lord and if you are doing things without complaining and disputing you are living out the fact that jesus christ has made a change in your life and paul says i'm being poured out as a drink offering i'm being shoved in the blender you know and poured out and so what i'm glad and rejoicing with you all I mean, this is turning out for the furtherance of the gospel guys and He says, "Verse nineteen. But I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your, know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly." He says, all right, "I'm going to send Timothy to you guys." Why? Because everybody else seeks their own. Now, it's kind of a sad statement that so many of the people around Paul at this time are busy seeking after their own desires. But Paul says, I'm going to send Timothy. Timothy's going to be a blessing to you as a church because he is not going to seek after his own things. You know his proven character, Paul says. So Timothy has earned a reputation as someone who's living out these things that Paul is talking about. And Paul says, I want to send this guy to you because I want to bless you guys, right? Do you think Timothy's being an encouragement to Paul in prison? Paul's probably a little bit starved for good fellowship. And he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you because he's going to look out for you guys. Because to live as if your goal is, I want to be able to say to live as Christ to die is gain. Paul says, okay, then serve others. And he says, okay, I'm going to send Timothy and Timothy is going to live this out so that this church will understand what that looks like. Verse 25, he gives us a reference to another person. Yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, Then when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So Epaphroditus, we get a reference, uh, we'll read it next week in chapter 4. He had, the church of Philippi had put together a financial gift for Paul. And Epaphroditus said, I'll take it to him. And that's not just like, hey, I'll wire it via PayPal, it's like, hey, I'll walk 750 miles on foot to take it to him. And then I'll navigate which prison he's in, which cell block he's in, and I'll work my way through the guards and whoever else, and I'll bring the financial gift to Paul. And so he makes the trek, and then he gets sick and almost dies. And the church hears about it. Somebody must have been going back and said, hey, guys, Epaphroditus is almost dead. And the church is praying about it. And Paul says, hey, I'm going to send Epaphroditus back because I want you to be encouraged, by his testimony, but also I want you to receive him with respect because he's a guy who does not seek after his own interest. He's a guy who says, hey, I'll volunteer. I mean, like, you know, who wouldn't love to go for a 750-mile walk, right? Like, that just seems like such a nice little stroll. Paradise says, I'll take it. I'll take the responsibility being personally, of being accountable for this money. I'll take the pressure of making sure that nobody robs me. I'll take all the security concerns. I'll take all the health concerns. Oh, by the way, I almost died. And uh, I'm doing it for, to bless Paul. Paul says, hey, when that guy gets back, you make sure that you respect him because he's living out what I'm encouraging you to do. The book of Philippians right, is all about, hey, everything, your circumstances— are not what defines us what defines us is is Christ at work is Jesus Christ who he said he is and if he is then really nothing else matters if he is no pain is too great no struggle is too hard no obstacle is too high right? it can all turn out for the furtherance of the gospel and to be frank I always kind of chuckle when I get to Philippians because uh... You know, I always remember Damien Kyle's a pastor in California, and he once said that to be a teacher and teach the Word of God is just to be a hypocrite because you're going to stand up there and say, here's what the Word of God says, here's how it ought to apply to your life, and then you're going to go live your own life in contradiction, right? And he said that gap ought to always be closing, but there's always a gap between what the Word of God says and what the person teaching the Word of God says. And so Philippians is always that for me because I'm not always, you know, my reputation is not always that of the, of the peppiest guy in the room or the most thankful guy or the least complaining guy. But I always remember specifically, uh, a couple years ago, we were at a men's conference. Uh, there were eight guys. We're all going to teach a half a chapter of Philippians. And I got asked to teach the second half of Philippians 1. And it was, uh, you know, sometimes you just have those weeks that just, like, aren't your week, you know? And then you have those, like, seasons that just aren't your season. And then you feel like, man, this is just not my year, right? It was one of those, right? Uh, I had... I was trying to get some business stuff going and that was just absolutely bombing uh i had health stuff going on where i like was losing weight and couldn't stop and just to make it exciting i had been dating a girl for a couple months and she had broke up with me broken up with me via text that tuesday and that saturday i stood up at a men's conference and i told a group of guys you know what your circumstances don't matter they're gonna turn out for the furtherance of the gospel and i remember driving home i'm riding shotgun dad's driving and he kind of checks the rearview mirror. Everybody's asleep in the back. He looks over and he says, "You know, if you apply everything you just taught and that teaching to your life, you'll be in really good shape." And just kept driving. And I thought, you know, he's absolutely right. <laughs> so we teach the book, the Word of God, and I can stand up here confidently and tell you, your circumstances do not matter. It doesn't mean we're always going to live it out, but it means we're going to respond. To the gospel right because our goal is to be able to say with paul to live is christ to die is gain our goal is to follow the example of jesus christ and say you know what i'm willing to lay aside unlike christ who laid aside actual rights i'm willing to lay aside my perceived rights and view other people as more viable than myself i want to walk worthy of the gospel so i'm going to strive together with my fellow believers and I want to serve them. I want to walk in all that God has for me. And this will turn out for the furtherance of the gospel. And if we do that, then like Paul, we can say, man, I thank my God every time I remember you guys. And I just have joy every time I think about you. Right? That's, if we can understand the invitation in Philippians to see what God is doing, then we can understand the response, which is to not let anything other than christ define our lives so lord we thank you for your word we thank you for all the ways that you've blessed us god in the midst of such a crazy world you're still faithful your word is still speaking to us you're still teaching us and guiding us and we pray that you would just let these truths go deep in our heart god conform us to your image we want to be like christ we want to follow his example And so we pray that you would do that. That your Holy Spirit would empower us to be people who are marked by joy. Uh, That we would walk without complaining and without disputing. That we would shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation. So Lord, go before us, fill us up, embolden us, strengthen us, guide us and lead us. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, that we pray, amen.